please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Rainbows are beautiful. It makes sense that such a beautiful natural phenomenon would make an appearance in sacred scriptures and in mythology. The story of Noah's Ark and the rainbow that marked God's covenant with Noah is one of the most familiar and best loved of the Christian community and the Jewish and Israelite communities that came before. If we grew up hearing that story, and if we learned and remember that story, we see a rainbow, and it reminds us of God's promises to Noah, promises that are also made to us and to all of creation. It's great that seeing a rainbow reminds us of God's promises, God's covenant. It's great, but it's not what the rainbow is for. The rainbow is there to remind God. Covenant. To my mind, covenant is one of the most compelling principles of the Christian faith. A covenant is just an agreement, really, but the use of covenant through centuries of Hebrew and Christian scriptures and the church's ongoing embrace of the idea have made it so much more. My dictionary tells me that a covenant is a binding agreement, a formal agreement, a promise. But for us as Christians, a covenant is also a sacred agreement. There is one covenant that is most fundamental to faith, that underlies and overarches any other covenant. That one covenant is this, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the covenant God made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, and it is the covenant relationship that shapes everything that follows. It shapes the pleas and demands of the prophets, the prayers of the psalmists, and everything Jesus taught and lived. God is our God. We are God's people. The covenant between God and Noah's family and the creatures of the earth comes before that great covenant at Mount Sinai, but it still rests on the same fundamental covenant relationship. God is our God. We are God's people. This is what we explore in Lent. We focus this year on covenant. Tradition is that Lent is a season of penitence, a season of repentance. We will sing that message in a little while in our prayer hymn. Sometimes we focus on repentance in the sense of looking at our errors or sins and hoping to make things right. And certainly, self-examination is good for us and is appropriate to the kind of spiritual growth we seek in the season of Lent. But the Hebrew word translated as repent really means to turn, and I know many of you have heard that before. So if Lent is a season of repentance, then Lent is a season for turning. And the turning we do is a particular turning. We turn toward God. In the face of any of the ways we have or might turn away from God, we now make every effort to turn back toward God. 
which means turning toward this covenant relationship that lies at the core of our identities as children of God, turning toward our covenant with God. Every year, the first Sunday in Lent reminds us of Jesus' time in the wilderness and the temptations he faced. Each temptation is a temptation to turn away from God, away from Jesus' path of faithfulness. We too are tempted by things that turn us away from God rather than toward God. Our world is full of temptations and distractions that have the potential to sidetrack us from living according to God's claim upon our lives. I think this is the human condition, to be tempted by alternative paths, especially when the paths God calls us to are truly challenging. So this piece of the human condition claims our attention in Lent when we seek to turn or return toward God. We return to a focus on our covenant relationship with God. We parallel Jesus' own journey. The Noah covenant we heard today came before the covenant at Mount Sinai. This covenant between God and Noah is the first covenant in our Bible. It is impossible to separate the story of the rainbow covenant from the story of creation. These early chapters of this first book of our Bible tell the story of creation and what followed. It is a story of movements between chaos and calm. Scripture tells us that there was chaos, was nothingness, and that out of chaos and nothingness, God brought forth the earth and all life. The events that follow suggest that humans are determined to return to chaos and nothingness. There are a series of stories of sin and violence until the book of Genesis tells us in chapter 6 that the earth was filled with violence. This is the point where God decides to send a flood to destroy the earth, but to use Noah to preserve the human race and all creatures for a time after the flood. I think it is complicated for us to relate to the way God is portrayed in these earliest of our scriptures. The portrayal of God in Genesis seems to have more in common with the religious texts of other cultures of the ancient Near East than contemporary Christian understandings of God. The portrayal of God in Genesis is similar to the writings of other cultures from a similar time period and similar part of the world. God is personified with qualities that today we would think would be beneath God or unworthy of God. For those of us today who personify God at all, we tend to attribute the best of qualities to God, and we particularly trust in the conviction that God is good and loving. In the book of Genesis, we hear of God being angry and punishing If you learned any Greek mythology, whether in school or otherwise, think about those Greek gods. They were capricious and temperamental, constantly drawn into petty feuds and cycles of insult and injury and retaliation. These are ancient Near Eastern images of what gods are like. What is striking about God in the extended story of Noah is not that writings from this time and place would portray God as angry or even violent. This is extremely consistent with the worldview of the ancient Near East. What is striking 
is that God would change. And specifically, that God would make a move to limit God's own freedom to choose destruction. Part of what is striking about this first covenant of our Old Testament, this covenant between God and Noah, is that it is unilateral. It is not normal for a covenant to be unilateral. Normally there are expectations of both parties spelled out in any covenant. But this covenant asks nothing of Noah and nothing of any other creature or the rest of creation. This covenant only places demands and even limits on God. And this is God's own doing. God says, I am now setting up my covenant with you, with your descendants, and with every living being with you, with the birds, with the large animals, and with all the animals of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. So God establishes a covenant. And it is not only a covenant with Noah, it is a covenant with every living being. And really, it is a covenant with the earth itself, that never again will a flood destroy the whole earth. This covenant does not require anything of Noah, but the covenant does limit God's options. Another characteristic of thinking in the ancient Near East was the common belief that lightning bolts were arrows shot by God from or, or by the gods. People pictured God up in the sky with a bow and arrow. And this is the bow that is hung up when God makes this covenant with all living creatures, the bow that becomes a rainbow. God hangs up this weapon of war. The scripture says, God said, this is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I have placed my bow in the clouds. It will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every living being among all the creatures. Floodwaters will never again destroy all creatures. The bow will be in the clouds. And upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living being of all the earth's creatures. We may feel good when we see a rainbow. It's not only beautiful, but it reminds us of God's enduring covenant with us and with all creation. But as I mentioned, the rainbow is not intended for us, not designed to remind us. The scripture says that the rainbow will remind God of the covenant between God and the earth, will remind God not to destroy the earth. What a striking element of this ancient portrayal of God to imagine that God needs a reminder. In the context of a time and place where God or gods were seen in particular ways, we find this odd story of a God who changes, a God who voluntarily places limits on God's self, and a God who needs reminding. In some ways, this story reminds us of the Christian story. Imagining God in Christ suggests that the God who is infinite and all-powerful also accepts limits and vulnerability. 
the story of Noah and this covenant was written at a time when the Israelites were in exile. Their world was in chaos, they had experienced violence, and the story of Noah and his covenant suggests that a new and better order might come out of chaos, and that rampant violence might be tempered, that even God's own potential for violence might be restrained. What a comfort to a people in exile. Pastor and writer Alan Roxburg suggests that the biblical narrative that is most relevant for Christians in our world today is the experience of exile. The exile of our own time is marked by the chaos and violence of terrorism and brutal beheadings and gross inequity in the distribution of resources. We can be thrown into a more personal exile or chaos by the death of a loved one, by divorce, by illness. And so, centuries before the coming of Christ, our religious tradition offers hope. Our scriptures suggest that out of the chaos comes dry land and the beauty of a rainbow, and the promise that God cherishes God's relationship with us. We hear this in the story of Noah. We hear it in new ways through the story of Jesus Christ. With the reassurance of hope in the face of violence and chaos, with the reassurance that God voluntarily enters into a binding covenant relationship with us, we follow the Lenten practice of drilling down to what is most foundational to who we are. We rest secure in the promise that God will be our God and we will be God's people. This is foundation enough for a life that is faithful and fruitful. Turning toward this connection, this covenant relationship, prepares us for the full life that Easter offers. Amen.